Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. We are live from Milwaukee Lumber. We're in Old Town Milwaukee today broadcasting. We, uh, If you're in the neighborhood, stop by. Give us a fist bump. You can pick up some BFT magnets and stickers. You can also meander around Milwaukee Lumber where, where they'll try to sell you a hammer or a hard hat or a 2x4. They are the experts when it comes to home improvement. Longtime sponsors of the show, longtime supporters of the BFT Foundation. We've been talking about all kinds of things on the show today. Lincoln Riley at USC. We've been talking about Washington and Arizona State. Oregon's got a big challenge this week at Utah. Oregon State trying to keep it going. It will be a race in the Pac-12 Conference. In the middle of it, our next guest, Christian Capel. He covers the University of Washington like nobody else. Great follow on social media. Shoots straight. I like that. He's not a homer. What's going on with Michael Penix Jr.? We want to know. We bring Christian Capel on the show. OnMontLake.com is the website. That's where he covers Washington. I encourage you to check it out. And he's joining us now. First of all, Christian, let's talk visiting locker rooms in the Pac-12 conference. We had a caller call in and say Oregon's visiting locker room is terrible. It creates a competitive advantage for the Ducks. Like, you've been around the conference. The visiting locker rooms are not uh, they're not uh, supposed to be like a five-star hotel, are they? No, yeah, I, I don't know that I've, I've – I guess a fun debate would be what's the best visiting locker room. I've never mm-hmm. asked anybody that. There it's go. always the other way around. I feel like I feel like Cal's is pretty notorious for for being one of the worst in the conference. Uh, I've I've heard people say that about Husky Stadium. Also, it's pretty. You know, I've I've been in there before. It's actually right across from the the media room that they used to use in the stadium. And yeah, it's you know, it's pretty nondescript. They're folding chairs and lockers and showers and toilets, and that's about it. Yeah, I, I think they intentionally go out of their way to be that way. Saturday night, you had the game Saturday night. Man, I was watching that after the Oregon-Washington State game. I uh, tuned in, and, you know, Washington had its hands full. What did you see happening at Husky Stadium? Yeah, you know, Arizona State was bringing a ton of pressure defensively, and Washington just never countered it, never really had an answer for it. Um, Ryan Grubb, their offensive coordinator, kind of reinforced that today um, they had their press availability and he just said look a lot of times they got the look they wanted right the zero zero um, pressures or um, you know man cover man pressures and you know they just didn't hit the matchups they didn't hit they weren't able to hit those shots downfield because they didn't protect you know he pointed out they had one Michael Penix Jr.'s second interception, which was a, a batted ball, um, had Romo Dunes, they wide open in the end zone, and it was max protect, seven guys in to, to protect against seven defenders, and, and they just didn't didn't match it up, just didn't execute it. So um, it was it was kind of strange that way. You could tell Arizona State was really selling out, and, and Washington never really made, it pay, made them pay for it. How much of it was an emotional letdown from the Oregon game? Yeah, I think that's that's a thing, you know. I do think that's that's legit. Um, Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb were 
you know, didn't really want to go that route. I think they, they felt like they thought the energy was high and that they, their heads were in the right place. And I will say, I mean, the crowd was a lot better than I was expecting. I thought it would be a little bit of a letdown just from an atmosphere standpoint, right, because how do you ever live up to what they had against Oregon? But it was a pretty good crowd, 68,000, and it was loud, and they were, you know, into it and everything. So, yeah, I don't know how much um, it was just kind of what they'd expended to beat Oregon and having to get up and go play a one and five team seven days later. But I, you know, I, I really just think ASU bothered them a lot with their pressure up the middle and, and, you know, kind of, kind of were able to, to gum everything up. They were trying to do that way. Penix uh, ends up with two interceptions, three deflections in the game. He, you know, it wasn't like he got sacked a whole bunch of times. I think they only got to him maybe once, but, uh, when you look back at the Oregon game, at the end of that game, I kind of wondered, did he get hurt? Was he hobbling? Nobody really said anything. Of course, he's not going to say anything. But do you have a sense that there is something not right with Michael Penix? Yeah, it felt that way a little bit watching it just because, I mean, he he has been so consistent and so good, and his, his down games are so few and far between. I don't know how many you would even say he's had in 20 games at Washington now. Um, I did ask you know, Grubb and DeBoer about that today, and the, the term Grubb used was under the weather. Sounds like he's, he's maybe battling a little bit of illness. I've seen people kind of speculate on that too, right, that even kind of his sideline demeanor and you know, just, seemed, just seemed a little off. He just didn't seem quite like himself. Um, and, of course, those sorts of things are, are pretty nebulous, right? How do, you, how do you nail that down? And if he's thrown for 400 yards, we would point that out. But, um, it, it, you know, what Grubb said, he didn't think that there was anything wrong with him physically. So, you know, who knows? I, I'm, that's something I'm, I'm curious to see against Stanford, you know, if they're a little better against whatever pressure they bring or, you know, if he is still able to make those, those far hash throws and really drive the ball. Um, maybe he can silence some of that or, or maybe it's something they continue to keep an eye on. As you look down the stretch uh, for Washington, you mentioned Stanford. There's a USC game. There's an Oregon State game. Uh in your mind, is there one game that's circled right now on the calendar, or is it, hey, there's there's a gauntlet coming like everybody, you know, everybody else is facing a similar thing in the month of November? Yeah, I think at this point it's really about the whole gauntlet. You know, the one, I guess, especially after Saturday and watching, you know, just how much a, a, a successful, consistent amount of pressure can do to limit Washington's offense, I'm really curious to see how they match up against Utah in Seattle on November 11th and just the athletes they have defensively and you know that Kyle Whittingham and Morgan Scali are going to come with a really great game plan because they always do and um, Utah's always tough anyway but I'm, I'm really curious to see you know how they they stack up against you know trying to keep Jonah Ellis away from Michael Penix Jr. and um, you know how they're able to, to try to scheme their receivers open against that secondary too. I think that's going to be a really fun matchup but geez it's, it's not going to be Everyone knows how tough it's going to be for them to win and reach the stadium on November 18th. Um, USC has, has uh, the shines come off of them, them some, but I still have a feeling that that November 4th trip to the Coliseum is going to be a challenge. So um, it really is just that whole slate. The you know the Arizona State fans upset about the non-call or the or the reversal on the call and pass interference. How is that going over in Washington's? Territory, because I did see on social media some Husky fans who were saying, "Hey, man, not happy with that performance." You know, not exactly dancing away from that game, but I guess the ex- that says a lot about the expectations at Washington. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, the they had a, not, not sure what they were looking at on that pass interference they picked up because they threw the flag and then kind of conferred and they obvious you know the replay made really obvious there was a jersey pull. I know I've seen you know a lot of Husky fans I think would counter. There was a a deep a deep shot to Jalen Polk I think it was in the first half um, where he kind of got brought down before the ball got there. So a lot of people saying oh well you know they missed one there too and then Washington fumbled on the next play so. Maybe that's sort of a, a butterfly effect thing. But, um, yeah, it, I, I think most people, you know, this is a team that's lost a lot of games over the years that it really shouldn't have. It seems like once a year they kind of have that, that inexplicable dud where you would go back and look at them. Even last season, as feel good as it was, you circle Arizona State, right? I mean, it was the same team last year. They fired their coach. and They were in the midst of a 3-9 and nine season and playing their their backup quarterback for most of that game and Washington still loses so I think most folks are, are at least pleased enough that that sort of inexplicable performance at least was still a victory this year um, and then I think that's kind of the, the glass half full version of it right that well at least when they, they played really poorly they still found a way to win so um, I, I think it did open up some concerns that okay maybe this offense isn't as unstoppable as people thought it was maybe they're is a little bit of a formula to get after Michael Penix and, and gum things up for them. But, um, you know, it's, I think those feelings are, are not as severe after a, a, a bad win as opposed to a really embarrassing loss. Christian Capel, our guest, on Montlake.com is the website. He covers University of Washington football. Christian, uh, I want to pivot a little bit to look at the conference. I mean, I do, do think Arizona State, I was really impressed with them and – texted with Kenny Dillingham last night, just told him, was really impressed with the way his team played. They competed. They're in over their heads. I mean, you've got, you know, they're eight scholarships short. They're, they don't have the firepower of others. They're in a rebuild. But those guys were flying around. And then I look at Utah beating, beating USC and, you know, with, with a pig farmer at quarterback and a safety playing running back. What do you make of the conference as you look across the landscape? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely as, as tough 1 through 12 as it's been in a long time. And that was something I noted after the game that, you know, this obviously would have been a, a horrible loss. I mean, an all-time horrible loss, especially from, you know, from a conference perspective for Washington. But this 2023, you know, last place Arizona State team is a good tier or two above, like, Colorado last year or Arizona the year before, right? They don't have that just awful opponent um that's an, an absolute automatic win for everybody although it is it is going to take uh, an upset i think for asu to not finish 0-9 um, but that speaks to the strength of the conference too right that the the numbers nine and ten teams in the standings are are still going to be really tough and could give you a game and you know like one of those programs i just mentioned arizona that it took a miracle for them to not be 0-12 just two seasons ago and now you know they could look at their schedule and say gosh you know if not for an overtime result in, in Starkville and an overtime result, triple overtime result against USC, you know, maybe their arrow's pointing way up, pointing up as it is. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the gosh dang of it, right, that these programs, these schools all have kind of went in on investing in football and taking it more seriously and you've seen more commitment than ever and this year you're kind of reaping the results and when it's over they go in their separate directions. It's kind of a bummer now that that's what, what waits at the end here. After the USC game, Lincoln Riley 
did not allow his players to speak to the media, said he wanted to keep him away from the noise. Could you ever foresee Kalen DeBoer pulling that after a disappointing loss? I, I probably couldn't, no. Um, you know, that's that, as it is at certain schools, and if it's like a really late kickoff or something, you might only get a couple guys like for, for time purposes, but that's not based on the result, right? I mean, that's like win win big or, or lose big or whatever. That's just kind of the, the operating procedure. But, yeah, that's uh, – can't say I'm, I'm too surprised based on uh, certain certain other media happenings around that program in the, the last month or so, but um, it just kind of it just kind of goes to show what the vibe is there yeah. right now, right? It's, it's not good. Yeah, and I think it's just so disappointing because, and I, maybe you can help listeners understand it from a beat perspective. When you're trying to tell a story after a game, it's not like you're there to you know. Uh, embarrass the players, but you really want to hear from them as a reporter because you're the conduit to the fan base. And when the coaching staff cuts the players off and says, hey, I don't want to let them speak, they're just eliminating that connection with their fan base. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really right. You kind of said it. That's all we're trying to do is um, take people further inside a game than just what they saw on television or what they saw live at the stadium and hear from the people who played and, and were on the field for those critical plays, you know, exactly what happened or didn't happen or, you know, their thoughts or their opinions. And, you know, especially I think when USC is a program like USC is in the spot that it's in having lost two games in a row and, you know, now probably on the, the outside looking into the college football playoff picture and all those sort of things. Um, you want to hear from the team leaders. You want to hear from kind of the seniors and, and the people who usually speak for the team and just, you know, kind of, be able to pass along to your readers or your your listeners or whoever it might be the, the the vibe of the program and here's here's kind of what the the people with the the best pulse of this thing think about it. So it is disappointing. You know, I've thought about this too. Like people like you and me who are independent, you know, let's say you're you're covering um, that that was a home game for USC, but if that happens on the road, right, you kind of made that investment just for that access. Mm-hmm. Now it's not there, you know that that sort of thing would be would be pretty frustrating too. Yeah, and I think it just to me too. I've tried to put myself in the shoes of the athletes, Christian. I covered Indiana basketball 1998-1999. Bobby Knight did a similar thing after a disappointing loss. Instead of uh, you know in the post game news conference, he sent out two freshman players who didn't even suit up and didn't play in the game. And these guys are here to talk about the game. It was just a big F you to the media who were in the room. And and I thought, gosh, what a lost opportunity to let a kid stand and speak about a disappointing moment and and have a chance to uh, convey their frustration or maybe their optimism about the next week. And it almost says, I don't trust you to say the right thing when you're the head coach. And I think that message, you know, has it creates a little bit of a fissure in the locker room. You know, I think it was Lorenzo Romar, Washington's former men's basketball coach, who said once that you know, it was this was around the time when it was becoming pretty common for um, football and basketball programs especially to limit freshman um, interviews, limit access to freshmen yeah. from the media. He always let freshmen talk, and, and I think his explanation was basically like, look, you know, whether every single one of these guys makes the NBA or not, the fact is they all think they're going to make the NBA. And so if you think you're going to play in the NBA in, you know, a year or two years' time, well, this is part of it, right? So why, why wouldn't we put them in position to, to prepare for having to do that at the next level when you know, that is their ultimate goal and that's, that's 
what they're striving for, and, and that's what life's going to be like there. Amen to that, Christian Capel. Uh, c- congrats on what you're doing. Onmontlake.com is where you want to read. If you want to catch up on Washington football, check out what Christian is doing there. Good luck to you this week, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you down the road. All right, thank you. Good stuff from Christian Capel. Anna, you were nodding your head as I was uh, talking about Lincoln Riley. You know what? The more I think about it, it is is him saying, I don't trust my guys to say the right thing in this moment. You're not protecting these players from coming out and, you know, saying, I'm going to protect them from the noise. They're not going to get away from the noise. USC just lost to Utah for the fourth straight time. They've got mobile phones. They have phones in their hands. They're going to be on social media, not protecting anybody from the noise. Well, we don't know exactly how that decision came about. Like, it could be player-led. Like, he could have been hearing from players who said, hey, we just really don't want to face the music. We don't want to be put in that situation. There's only one player. There's only one player who could drive that narrative. If, if you're going to go with that, the only player that could have driven that narrative was Caleb Williams. If they went to him and said, Caleb, we need you in the post-game news conference, and he said, I don't want to go. I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk about this game. Lincoln Riley in that moment may have made a decision to say, well, if he doesn't go, then I can't put anybody else up there because it's going to be weird. But based on your interviews with Caleb Williams. I thought he was fine. He's a grown-up. That you know? doesn't sound like no. something he would say, right? No. Like no. you were fairly impressed with I him. I was really impressed with him. So, I, am, I, remain, I think he's... I think he's the number one pick in the NFL draft. I mean, I, I would still pick him. If I was an NFL GM, I would n- have no hesitation picking him. Yeah. But, you know, he had some lapses in judgment. He had fingernail thing where he put F Utah, and he can't beat Utah. He's going to leave USC never having beaten Utah. And if he comes <laughs> back next year, he's not going to beat Utah. They're not going to play him. They're going to be in the Big Ten Conference. So. Well, I think that silencing of the team combined with how sensitive they were to the reporter yeah. at the very beginning of the year before he, anything had even happened, that he was just reporting what he had seen right. you know, around the practice facility, and they barred him from doing that. They're, they tried to bar him from doing that. I think you're right. I think the overall message is simply we don't trust the players in this program. Um, to, to not say the wrong thing right. at the wrong time. Yeah, It's a bad message. Let's go to the phone lines. David's in Astoria. David, what's on your mind? Hey, John, two things. First, uh, general question about USC. I, I've been, uh, I have USC fan friends, and I've been telling them since the beginning that, uh, that they were being being overrated from the, from the get go. Everybody was champing at the bit to finally get be able to root for USC. But that I didn't. I thought that the the turnaround they envisioned would be a miracle. And given the new coach's history at Oklahoma, I didn't see it happening. So I'm curious about your thoughts on that. And then um, that. Reversal of the pass interference call with Arizona State yeah. and Washington. I, you haven't said what your opinion of it, well, it was. was, it, was, My was pass interference. it was pass interference. Pass interference, hundred percent. I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, you know, I'm a Ducks fan, and and so I sort of was rooting against Washington, but not strongly. Uh, uh, but then I was like incensed. I, uh, that that call. Yeah. Turned the game. Oh, that was it. You were yeah. done. Yeah, it did. It did. And and look, I always say good teams will overcome bad officiating. They'll overcome a bad break. But let's be real. Arizona State's not a good team. 
they may, they may go winless. And so for that team to win that game on the road at Husky Stadium, the margin's thin. And so, you know, I tweeted late in the game, even before the pass interference call, non-call, that Washington couldn't get a yard and Arizona State couldn't get a call. And that's how it felt to me. Now, I do think part of the home field advantage in those tough places to play that I always talk about, part of the home field advantage is the crowd and the atmosphere. And I think those officials are human. And I think that Husky Stadium crowd, the Rice-Eccles Stadium crowd at Utah, Autzen Stadium crowd, Reader Stadium crowd, they are difficult crowds, I think, to officiate in because I think the officials go in there, you know, the game's moving fast, the crowd's screaming for their spleen. It's, it's a tough place to make a call. And the way that, you know, that official, the position he's in, he missed it. He missed it. They missed it. They threw the flag. They picked it up. That was the wrong call. But uh, uh, in the end, it did change the complexion of the game. Ed's in Lebanon. Ed, welcome. Hey, uh, first of all, thank you for taking my call. Uh, locker room talk, just briefly. I, I yeah. understand that. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.